Location episode of No Challenges Remaining Woo! from beautiful Indian Wells, California. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and joining me from way closer than usual. So close. So close. Still on your left hand side, though. Yeah. So weirdly. Yeah. Feels feels like totally the it, same. It's, it's the same. Because you I'm, mix that up, then things get a little nutty. Anyway, I'm Ben Rothenberg. She's Courtney Nguyen. We are here in her home state of California, bringing you all things BNP Paribas Open 2013. You excited this tournament? I'm super excited for this tournament, even before the draw came out. I mean, it's, you know, I think the secret is pretty much out when it comes to the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells. Like, I think that, that people are, at this point, know that it's kind of tennis mecca in, yeah. in every way. I mean, journalists know it, uh, players, everyone's in a good mood, everyone's relaxed, just because that's the vibe of the tournament. So, you know, and it's the first uh, tournament since uh, the Australian Open that's joint, that, that has all the top seeds, so San Serena. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it it's uh, what you say about the journalists is true. I mean, almost all the American journalists anyway are going to New Wells, and then not Miami. Yeah, people pick, people pick this one because yeah. it just is easier mm-hmm. and a nicer place to be. I mean, every time you walk out, every time I walk outside, I see the mountains. I'm like, ah, oh, mountains, so cool. I'm like, every single time I want to take out my phone and take a picture, yeah. which I mostly do. I've started to resist that urge a little bit coming on day three now, but no, it's it's, it's definitely tough. it it takes your breath away and. Uh, you know, it's nice to be under the sun. I know for myself, this is, you know, Ben was in Australia, but this was the first time that I've been, uh, you know, for, for a prolonged amount of time, like, on site at a tournament. So, you know, that definitely adds to my excitement. I've been, you know, grounded since November, I guess, since mm-hmm. since the World Tour Finals. So, a um, bit stir-crazy, you know, when you're constantly writing about tennis and seeing the sunshine uh on a dodgy stream, so uh, I'm stoked, and I think that we're I think we're in for for some good stuff. And the draws worked out well to give us some good, pretty good stuff. We can get right into those. Yeah, I guess uh, starting with the guys. Yeah. there was more news about their draw, and it's a. I think we we did a toss about this on the Beyond the Baseline last year, and we sort of agreed. We're talking about which is the fifth slam, I am or Indian Wells. And I think the consensus we sort of reached is that Indian Wells is the Grand Slam for the men, and for the women, it's Miami. Yes. Because of the Williams sisters and just because of, you know, how that's working out. Especially now with Federer skipping Miami uh, and it all coming back here. This does feel bigger for the men. Absolutely. And also just the way that the men's draw worked out. So uh, the men's draw, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. So um, the men's draw came out today. And uh, the big news is that not Rafael Nadal, who just came off a pretty spectacular performance, I think, in Acapulco, uh, uh, winning that title and beating Ferrer 6-love 6-2. No, right? 6-love 6-2 is correct. Yeah, David Ferrer, the ATP number four, won two games in a match on his favorite surface. Courtney, let's discuss that before we get to this draw, because that was a little bit of previous news. What do we make of David Ferrer? Winning two games in a in a final. You know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really tell us anything. I don't think we didn't already know. Um, you know, we saw this back in January in terms of how f- far he fell short of being able to compete. You know, really well. I mm-hmm. mean, not compete well. I mean, obviously he's competing well, but to put together a competitive match against Novak Djokovic in the semifinals of the Australian Open. And um, you know, this isn't the first time that Rafael Nadal is, has really put the beat down on Ferrer. He did it the the French Open yeah. uh, last year as well. Um, and so this doesn't tell us anything new. But I think that I know for myself, I felt 
not that I feel like I've had Ferrer fatigue, but I feel like um, within the last year and, and even more so within the last six months with Nadal being out, so much has been made of like David Ferrer and he's the, he's a legit number five or a legit, you know, a, a number four and um, he he's dogged and he's, you know, uh, so, so much. Res- yeah, everyone loves him and respect. respects him. So much Ferrer respect watch. And I don't doubt any of that at all. But let's face it. I mean, the reality of it is when I look at a draw that is a Grand Slam draw or a Masters 1000 draw, unless it's on clay and even if it's on clay, I generally look right past David Ferrer. Yeah. And I look at the three men who are behind him as being the, the big names that, that can challenge the top four. And, you know, and I just kind of, I don't know, for me personally, just watching that Acapulco match, it just really, that was my visceral reaction. It was just almost not annoyance, but just it was like why vindica- do we talk- Vindication, sort of. We've, we've talked about this before a little bit on the show mm-hmm. about why we think, or why David Ferrer, you know, being a tough guy to write about in some ways because he doesn't ever, you know, A, say much interesting in press, which is different issue but also because as much as he is respected and players you know think of him he's not a relevant player on the business of the tournaments he's really not i mean he can he could sort of cockroach a, a complete uh, apocalyptic draw like happened in paris where he finally won his first masters finally but he's never made a slam final he's never you know put together a string of big matches at a big tournament like that that would lead him to think that he can be relevant and he's also getting old and his time is ticking so that's something rare but the biggest takeaway i think from acapulco in terms of relevant people is that nadal i think has to be said is back i mean with what he did winning that match again i mean other side of that coin losing only two games to the atp number four as much as he says his knees are still day-to-day and he's not sure how he feels his tennis looks pretty reliable i mean at this point so i think he's absolutely my french open favorite for sure interesting looking ahead. I'm, I, he's still not my french open favorite okay uh, for me i think that i would have to see how you know, the, the clay season turns out with respect to Djokovic. I, I don't think that Djokovic is that far off of, from Rafa, and I I think that, that, that Djokovic showed that uh, last year at the French Open uh, final. So um, he's, he's still right there. Like, you know, it's kind of a coin flip for me in terms of the French Open, but that's for a later conversation. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Acapulco, yeah, Rafa's back-ish. I don't know. I, I, I'm a little hesitant to go that far as to say okay. that. And um, I know that uh, for some of the writing that I've done for SI, it has been that rhetorical question of, is Rafa back? And for me, I, he's as back as he's been. That's be- <laughs> uh, he's backer know, than ever. He's backer than ever. Uh, but in terms of, of, is he the Rafa of, you know, that won the French Open? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, so we'll see. But it's exciting. And, and it, uh, I mean, I know on this podcast, I've said this many times in terms of Rafa's absence. Uh, one of the things that I've really missed, not just his tennis um, and his presence and his electricity, but how he balances a draw. Yeah. And so it's kind of, I mean, it's still a bit like unbalanced now, but um, that's because he's five and not four. But at least there's, it just, there's so, just so much, there's so more fireworks in that draw now. And so that's exciting. And that is exciting. It's exciting having him be a five seed for the first time ever. It's kind of cool actually being a draw star. I mean like, Oh, here's dangerous floater Rafa coming. And the person who, uh, you know, hit that mine was Roger Federer, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So for the first, there, Federer has Nadal in his quarter, the two and the five. And for the first time, they, if they both win out to the quarters, which is not a guarantee for either of them. Correct. They both have not easy draws. Uh, if they both win out, they could play before the semis of a, of a regular format tournament, tournament for the first time since their first ever meeting 
at 2004 Miami. Which so. Rafa won. Which Rafa I mean, there's won. a lot of different storylines, right? Like, Rafa won that match. Uh, obviously, in 2004, that's when everybody was like, hey, who the heck is this kid? Um, and uh, and then also, I believe that the last time that Federer ever beat Rafa was also here last year. So... I think that's the last time they played. Have they played since then? I didn't play since then, but that was the last okay. time. I mean, yeah. either okay. way. Right. I mean, sure. Sure, yes. sure, sure, sure. But, uh, but yeah, which was... And I remember that match being absolute destruction. Uh, from Federer's side, um, and so so there's a lot of intrigue in that match, you know, and um, you know Federer's kind of coming in on a bit of a slump. I think it's safe to say. Definitely. Um, you know, shocking but, losses to Beneteau and and to 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 Burdick in Dubai. Burdick, but Burdick, the thing about the Burdick loss, which also happened last week, we can talk about that too. Burdick loss, I think it was telling in how unshocking it was in Absolutely. some ways. I mean, Federer did have match points and didn't convert them, which we're not really used to for him. But Burdich has now beaten Federer on several big stages, and it seemed like, yeah, okay, Federer can lose to Burdich. That happens. Well, he lost funny, to him at U.S. Open, lost to Wimbledon a couple years ago. It happens. I was pretty shocked when I looked up the numbers that, you know, I, I think it's a funny story, the Federer-Burdich rivalry, because Burdich, kind of much like Rafa, made a name for himself in his first matchup against Federer, which was knocking him out of the 2004 Athens Olympics. Yeah. That's when everybody's like, who the heck is this, you know, big-serving Czech kid? I think he's um, Lucas Russell. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. Um, sorry. But, yeah, but within the last three years, um, Burdick actually has leads the head-to-head, 5-3. Mm-hmm. So after that, that, that loss um, at the Olympics, Federer basically turned Burdick into his pigeon for, like, a good you know, few years, uh, but within the last three years, uh, the checks come out on top. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about Ferrer, not having that sort of giant killing ability or that big match, I think I can beat you, I think I deserve to beat you, chip on his shoulder, that Burdich has. And Burdich has it against Murray, too. He's mm-hmm. done pretty well against Murray in the past. Uh, he hasn't done very well against Djokovic on Harcourts whatsoever. That's been his knock, and he's played Djokovic a lot, and he's kind of in these tournaments. So it's like 0-12 on hard courts, I believe. Yeah, I he beat him at Wimbledon him. once uh, yeah. when he made the final. But yeah, it's it's been a rough go for him. So that's that's what that's been about. And uh, yeah, so Burdich is also in the bottom half in the Ferrer quarter, which is good because I think those are, I think besides for Nadal, obviously Ferrer is the toughest five through eight kind of guy at this point. So it's good to see him with the softest one through four, and some ways to keep the draw more more stable but yeah mm-hmm. so that section a Federer section just starting down at the bottom also has John Isner who uh needs a uh needs a uh, a big result here in a bad way because if he doesn't make the quarters which would mean beating Federer likely here he's out of the he's not gonna be an American number one anymore and doesn't what's gonna happen with his draw starts with Leighton Hewitt then gets Favrinka then gets Federer yeah that's brutal that's not that's not easy at all, so yeah. yeah so I mean, it, it, across the board for the Americans, it was a, it's a pretty brutal draw, acro- you know, for everyone. Although at the same time, you have to also argue like, is it a brutal draw when you know, like, as a lot of people are bringing up this whole concept of like, you know, Harrison always gets hosed when it comes to draws, and and here if he beats Gosuade in the first round, he'll get Rafael Nadal. Yeah. But at this point, you know, he's ranked what seventy seven, seventy six, yeah. or something like that, like. He was, one he, of the la- he was one of the last direct entries. Yeah, so, like, you have yeah. to stop and say, like, well, that's actually kind of the draw that you would expect. If his name was not Ryan Harrison, right. you know, and somebody else ranked in that 70s range, you'd be like, yeah, okay, that's yeah. about right. So, but Harrison definitely has had abnormally tough draws. Oh, for sure, at slams, In his yeah. career. No, he definitely, and at slams, mostly not at Masters. This is his first, well, he's had some tough Masters, too. He played Djokovic early in Cincinnati a couple of years ago. I mean, he's had... He's played all the big four guys for someone who hasn't gotten deep in a lot of tournaments. He's not a guy that gets the, like, plays a qualifier, plays a winner of two qualifiers. Like, he hasn't no. been able to get that luck. But, 
Yeah, and you know, at some point that that luck will turn around. But hopefully, um, you know, and 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 you know, uh, Harrison always says like, oh, I, I want those matches. I want to put measure myself up against the best. Yep, totally the right thing to say, but no, actually, you need to accumulate points so that you're not being put your put in this situation. Yeah. And this is very similar to kind of uh, not similar, but you know, I think a little bit of like Anna Ivanovich, a player who, if she could get her ranking up higher, she would have better draws at slams she would she'd be able to avoid like the serenas you know in but honor realizes that yeah and, and honor realizes it and she's like kind of like you know there are certain there is a certain group of players that i'm probably not going to beat but i can also put myself in a position rankings wise to make sure that i don't hit those players until later on in the draw and that's kind of where harrison needs to be in terms of lucking out with some of these draws to allow him to get these you know some the points at the masters and the slams even if it's one or two rounds um, so that he can get back into the top 50, you know, top 40 if he can. Are there other big American guy who is poised to become number one American, assuming that Israel doesn't do something big here this week, is Sam Query. he got a medium-sized draw, uh, decent decent draw until the fourth round. He gets is in a, the higher seed in his little section is Juan Monaco, which is the best you could hope for, because Monaco's been really not very good at all in 2013. He's had a terrible year. But then he gets the joke of it. So he's likely not going to make the quarters, but he should be able to get to the fourth round. I mean, am I wrong here? But my sense when I was looking at the draw today, the men's draw today, is that there are so many top, when I say top, like I'm talking like top 20 male players who are kind of in the midst of a slump. Yeah. You know, you look at the Tipsarovich, you look at Monaco, um, Isner, you know, these top 20 seeds who actually, you know... Are, provide really good marquee, marquee value. Like, you know, like, oh, look, like, Isner might play Federer. Oh, Federer's got a tough draw. And then you stop and you're like, wait, look, hold on. Let's think about this. Like, can he even get there? And given his form, you know, um, is this really some, somebody that we need to be concerned with? And so, I don't know. I just get the sense that they're a lot more kind of struggling, you know, from the, 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 the 10 to 20 you know, male players than than uh, than I feel like has been the case in the past. But maybe I think that I'm could be right. I think that could be right, and I think it just sort of wears on players when the big four has been so dominant and their people aren't winning titles. Yeah. It gets it gets demoralizing at some point if you're if you're starting to knock on the door and you realize the door is locked. Mm-hmm. That's tough. You stop knocking. You stop knocking at some because point because you're killing yourself. Yeah, killing your, your fist gets worn out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't think that we're not saying that necessarily any of them have given up for good, but some way you'd sort of stop knocking. I'm doing a knocking gesture you can't hear on the podcast. And then you just sort of shake your hand out because your hand gets tired. Yeah. So yeah. so that happens. Um, other highlights of the men's draw you can think of? Uh, Djokovic and Murray on the same half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murray is in a quarter with Del Potro, which I think it could be a cool match. They haven't played that much yep. recently. And Djokovic is with Songa. Songa. So I think that all could work. If, those, if all the projected quarters hold up, which happens more often than it should in the ATP these days, uh, that could be good. Yeah, but even again, like, those were matches where I was looking at them, and I'm like, oh, this will be, you know, Murray Del Potro should be great, Djokovic Sanga, that could be really interesting, and then I started looking up their head-to-heads, and I was like, oh, why am I even trying to, I, I can't even, yeah. in good Djokovic, faith, Sanga, no. Djokovic Sanga, no. Sanga hasn't beaten him on hard since, like, 2010 at the Australian Open. Didn't Del Potro um, beat Murray at the London last year? Am I making that up? Like a dead rubber kind of thing? think you're making that up okay yeah i might be i'm pretty sure i think you're making that up but um i, I could be wrong but um but i feel but murray's been pretty comfortable with del potro um on a hard court i think i want to say that del potro's only beaten him on clay but i could be wrong on that okay. but it's something close to that but um 
yeah, so again, it's kind of one of those things where you're just like, you know, there are those matches that, that have like the marquee value, and then when you actually look at them, you're like, well, is it really going to be a good That's the match? ATP, though. It's, it's, it's a very, very cast system kind of yeah, tour at this point. Have have so I'm hoping that there's going to be upsets. I mean, I think that the toughest quarter for me to call was the Burdick-Ferrer quarter, because Tomic is in there. Um, Tomic first round against Bellucci. Exactly. Thomas Tomic Bellucci. Now, Bandian's got a pretty interesting first round. Granoliers. which could be a tough one. But, you know, there's a few spoilers that are in there. Gasquet, who it's hard to figure out where Janovitz he's Janovitz is in there. Janovitz is in there. So it was a really tough quarter for me to call in the end. I, I, I went with Ferrer, even though... Obviously, I think... All reliable. Yeah, he's all reliable, and he owns Burdick. So that was the thing. You have to just go by matchups, even though I think that Burdick is probably, on the whole, uh, playing better than, than, than Ferrer, um, as of this point. I, just I, just so I don't, we don't sound dumb, if it does happen this way, there, we should notice there are two dangerous floaters near both Nadal and Federer, uh, who have good records against them. Nadal is near Yuzny mm-hmm. in his third round, which could be a tough draw for him. And Federer has been a toe in the third mm-hmm. round. Who Benito, who beat him in Rotterdam and almost beat him in Wimbledon. So, yeah. if there's a boom goes a dynamite moment there, that could. Don't say we didn't warn you. And last and last note of kind of the importance of kind of how Fed's draw worked out is that if Murray makes the final, he has a chance to take over number two. If he wins the um, the title outright, he takes number two. Uh, but if he makes the final, if he if Murray's the runner-up in the final, and Federer doesn't make the semis, then Murray gets number two as well, which means that the Federer Nadal quarter, depending on how everything works out, like is kind of a must win for Roger on many yeah. different levels. Yeah. But um, you know, unless Murray crashes out in the beginning, which is entirely possible because he hasn't played a match since the Australian Open. But I have a little bit more confidence in him, and he, he has like a pretty a good uh, a f- good few matchups in the first two rounds. I think uh, he plays the winner of like Ito and somebody in the first round or the second round, and then yeah. um, so you know he'll have some some matches to get under his belt. But he hasn't won a match here since two thousand and. Yeah, he's had some bad <laughs> losses here. Some pretty bad losses. He lost to Don Young here. He lost to Garcia, Garcia Lopez. Lopez. I mean, he could he use win. So I think getting the winner of Ito and Don Skoy is yeah. about as good as you can hope for, really. Sure. Yeah. So The Brits should have been thrown a ticker tape parade. Pretty much. I think they were. Yeah. They're all here. In their hearts. In their hearts. And sometimes <laughs> in their in their in their words. Uh, so that's that's the men. The women. Uh, let's go to them. They once again, we're without Serena and without Lena, who's the top five player at this point. Which so, is big. It Lina actually, actually really weakens the draw. It really time. does. And Lena uh, has busted her ankle, I guess. She busted it twice badly in the Australian Open final. Kept going like the soldier she is. Almost won. Kind of came close to winning that Shut match. Up. She had as, so many big points. Oh, my God. As we've talked about on this <laughs> podcast before, the fact that Lena kept that match competitive, surreal. Yeah. Surreal, pretty much. Superhuman. So, yeah, so when we, I was at the draw ceremony, and they were like, in the number four seed in the draw, Angelique Kerber. I was like, oh, really? Yeah. Kerber's the number four it, here? It, it was weird, because when that was announced, it almost, you were, for a split second, I was like, wait, is this a Premier Five? Yeah. It, you know, it no longer felt like a Premier Mandatory yeah. um, when you saw that, especially given the fact that Kerber's slumping uh, quite badly with her, her back injury and, and things like that, so. It was one know. way from it being Irania, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. So it's it's tough, but I don't know what uh, is anybody going to stop Vika here, Ben? Could happen. Um, interesting draws for her early. The early one that that raised my eyebrows is her fourth round against Sloane potentially. Mm-hmm. Sloane has not has just had a couple early losses in the Middle East, but Sloane rebounded well from losing to Serena when she played her in Brisbane. lost her in Brisbane, beat her in Australia. 
So I'm interested to see if there's a similar sort of improvement or figuring stuff out happens between Australia and here, if that happens. Uh, so she's a name to watch for sure in that section. Uh, long Short answer, no. I, I yeah, think it's Svika's the player to beat. But if Kvitova keeps her role from Dubai... Yeah then she's the one to watch. But Kvitova is on the other half of the draw with Sharapova. Yeah, so. she, she's with kind of, you know, generally speaking, I would probably say that, that Vika's uh, side of the draw is the softer side. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, we talked about, in, in the same way that the um, the Burdick-Ferrer quarter was kind of tough to call, the Stozer, is it a Ronnie? Stozer-Kerber quarter. Sto- yeah, the Stozer-Kerber quarter, which is the other half of the Vika half um, is, is I thought was, was a really tough one to call. I mean, who do you, I, I picked Ivanovich coming out of there um, simply because, and it's full of, play, you know, you got Stozer in there, you got Ivanovich, Barthol's yeah, in there as a pick, good spoiler. I would pick Stozer, but I think Bartle, if she gets on a roll, and Bartle's very streaky, hot and cold, so hot streaky. and cold. So if Bartle is at her, if everyone's at their best, I think, or she, if everyone's near their best, it should be Bartle. Um, yeah. But if it's not, Stozer's obviously unpredictable too. But I would pick Stoser over Ivanovich. Right. I think that's a good matchup for her, maybe. I don't know, the head-to-head. I think head. that, like, they've never actually overlapped when they were both good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, one of those, like, where Anna probably ha- leads the head-to-head back when Sam, you know. Before the, Sam broke out. Yeah, yeah. the 06 to, to 09 period. Yeah. But Although, um, don't don't totally discount um, Kerber in that section. I mean, Kerber's had a bad year, but she could possibly turn it around. Yeah, very, very possible. But, um, but I picked Ivanovich primarily because of just the... I think that she's actually playing okay um, mm-hmm. these days. I think that she's she's stabilized her game, and also just there's just something about the Indian Wells air that 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 does well for her here. She's, yeah. You know, she's won it once, made the final the following year in a wind-strewn, disgusting final against uh, Vera Zvonareva that was just not tennis, um, and made a semifinal here last year. Before she had to retire to Sharapova in what was turning out to be. A fantastic match. Yeah, it's too bad she had to retire. Yeah, so it was tough. So I, you know, I, I, I like, I like her chances, but, uh, but I also kind of acknowledge that it's a bit of a crapshoot. Um, and then, just like you, I, I, I mean, I think that Vika is kind of un- unbeatable at, as of right now without Serena in the draw. Um, and the only one that I can see stopping her would be Kvitova, um, who is on the other side. But one matchup that we could potentially get um, here that that. You know, WTA nerds would want to see is Azarenka Wozniacki yep. um, in the in the round of in the fourth round of sixteen. I think they described it no, themselves quarters. as in the quarters. They described it themselves once upon a time as a pusher versus a brainless ball basher. Right. In simpler times for both of them. Yeah, in giggly uh, times. Giggly times. Yeah, let's talk about Caroline a little bit. Caroline, there was a bunch of. I use in quotes, reports in Irish media. He's also rolling his eyes really hard. I'm rolling my eyes so, so hard. Um, Reports in Irish media that both of them had bad weeks last week. Uh, Caroline lost in the first round of Kuala Lumpur to Kiang Wang. And Rory had some odd incident where he walked off the golf course and just sort of, after having a terrible round, and then just like threw in the towel. I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. So, but, blaming then, a to- subsequently blaming a toothache, although initially saying that he was in a bad place mentally. Yeah. And Wozniacki to, uh, in Kuala Lumpur did suffer pretty, she was sick, um, which is actually my understanding is that that's why she stayed a couple of days later because she was still ill and, and didn't want to fly. Um, so, but she supported the tournament there. But yeah, I mean, there was, there were extenuating circumstances. They weren't just like bad losses. There, if, there you, re- if you believe re- what they were, were saying. Give. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you were to believe what they say. So, but then there were reports that they were definitely, they were like, they're breaking up, they're on the rocks, you know, and there was, the evidence for this was um, non-existent, 
I think it's fair to say. You wrote about this a little bit. You wrote up like the you wrote up the reports essentially. What do we make of people, you know, making something out of this and using and waving this flag or you know setting up a smoke signal or I don't know a, a flare anytime that there's a problem in either of them? Like, oh, blame the blame the love. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the whole Yoko. You know, Caroline is the Yoko Ono to to to, to Rory. I wrote it up, and actually, we ended up. Uh, not posting it, oh, which was... I'm glad about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I wrote it up, uh, and I had actually shown Ben my copy before I before I had filed it, and um, and it was very eye-rolly, and it was very, like, you know, if you were to believe the highly speculative reports coming out of Ireland, because one of the things that they cited, too, was, oh, they stopped tweeting at each other. For, like, six days. For, like, six days, and I'm like, okay. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, and and my spin on it, the way that I wrote it up, was that... You know, yeah, let's blame Caroline. Let's let's blame all these sorts of things. Or you know, let's totally ignore the fact that he switched sponsors and is playing with brand new clubs. Uh, you know, and maybe that's why he's he's having some problems. You know, early in the season, um, and that Caroline was sick. I mean, yes, let's let's go ahead and go the breakup route. Look, I mean, papers have to sell paper. You know, papers and heck, I had to write it up because we know I know and everybody else knows that you write it up, you're gonna get clicks and you're gonna sound like whatever and the best you can do is what I try to do which is kind of basically write up there are reports out there and they're kind of dumb yeah uh, was basically my post but um thankfully we didn't roll with it but uh they were tweeting at each other again today they did they did during the uh the Champions League game between uh, Man United so and, those uh, two kids might just make but, it yeah it's just you know just let them be I mean it, it, <laughs> I said I said this before but it's like especially now that we have to see Red Foo a lot like, I, look, it, bless, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I am not one to judge, but at the same time, like, I feel really, like, hesitant to kind of make fun of the whole Rory Caroline thing or to, because it's, I think that it's probably one of the most stable things in her life that's brought her happiness. Rory's good people. And Rory's a good dude, and she's a good kid. I yeah. mean, she is a good kid, so... You know. This will be my fourth tournament that I've shared space with Red Foo at. <laughs> yeah. Number four. Um, and he's and he doesn't exactly hide when he's here. So I'm interested to see exactly how visible he will be. Um, he took part a little bit in that Madison Square Garden EXO that uh, Vika played. Uh, which I, heard, I didn't see any of because I was out here. But yeah, I heard that it was a pretty, pretty fairly intense for an EXO. Especially for Serena at an EXO. Madison Square Garden. So I think that's interesting. I think the Serena Azarenka dynamic that's developing now is interesting. We talked about it a little bit on the last show, so we don't, we don't need to get into that too much right now. But yeah, it's interesting to see what uh, what will happen with Azarenka and if she can really rekindle 2012 form with this winning streak. At the same time, as Djokovic also has a winning streak now. Yeah. It's very much like it's a little bit deja vu this tournament. Like, oh, Djokovic has a winning streak coming in here. Azarenka has a winning streak coming in here. What yeah. else is new? Well, you know, but I, I, one thing that I would actually be very curious to see with Azarenka is that last year when she was on her streak and she came into Indian Wells and, you know, uh, she was still, it was all very new to her you know, kind of being the number yeah. one and, you know, having to do all these press responsibilities and, you know, kind of having to sell her story to the press and things. And, and she didn't handle it probably as well as she could have, um, you know, yeah. and it was really a missed opportunity. This is a player that went on, what, a 26, 24 match win streak? 26, I think. That's yeah, right. Yeah. A match win streak and was number one and, you know, with a bullet and... Did and, not quite strike while the iron was hot in terms of, right. in terms of selling herself, in terms of building her... 
her her story. Yeah, that was the thing with Getting the story. Getting a story and, out. And yeah, and people people recognize that. Like we talked to um, Andre Pekovic here, and we were and we'll go into that more later in yeah. later episodes. But uh, Pekovic is very very good at press. Period. I mean, she's just she runs circles around everybody else. It's it's not entirely fair. Yeah. Um, but she's very very good at like telling her story and like letting you know why. Not in, in, a, in a total in a totally non egotistical way, like why someone might be interested in her, why you should care in a totally not you know manipulative way. As Renka last year, people kept asking her like, "Why do you think?" This is a simple question: Why do you think you're winning so much now? Why do you think you're playing better than you ever had in your career? And she had no answer. And she and was, that was and frustrating for press people. Sometimes. It was, and, and 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 I think that it was very difficult because you know when we look back at Djokovic's streak, he had. Like he had the story, and he Multiple sold. I mean, he had. There was Davis Cup. There was gluten free. There was. I became more professional. There was, you know, all these different sort of things. You know, worked on my fitness, and you know, and every single time, because I know this because I asked Azarenka this numerous times at numerous press conferences, like whether it was the Australian Open or, you know, especially in Indian Wells. You know, is there anything that you've done? You know, and and I just remember. You know, one of the questions that I asked her here at Indian Wells last year was, you know, and it, this is virtually verbatim, was, Vika, you're, everybody knows that you're one of the hardest working players on the WTA tour. We walk out there, we see you on the practice courts all the time. You're so focused. Um, and you've been this way for many years. Is there anything that you did or decided to change with you and your coach during the off season that can kind of attribute to, to, to the success, the, the tremendous success that you're having this year. No. And she looked me dead in the eye and was like, no. And that was her answer. No. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to, you know, give me a hook. And, and to be fair, maybe, yeah, maybe she didn't do anything different, you know, but I feel like a lot of players are pretty, they can get to an introspective level enough to where they can say like, well, or, or convince themselves that they did something different. Because if you just think if you just think that you've done the same thing and you've been consistent and all of a sudden you're getting results, like doesn't that also that's there's a negative side of that as well, which is that maybe it's almost not in in your control. Yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, no, I took ownership of my career. I did these these you know X Y and Z, and, and now thing. I get and the so results. And so many players show up to Australia every year saying that, yeah. like, I worked so hard in the off season. I actually really appreciate it. Sam Quarry was said <laughs> said like in an interview, like. I'm not going to tell you I did anything out different in the offseason this year because I didn't. I had a normal offseason, and it was fine. Yeah. And I was like, thank you, Sam. I appreciate that because right. I'm sure most people actually do do that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And his results players, paired out. Yeah. His result, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, not in a bad his, way. His results but, you are know consistent to what they were. Yeah, they're consistent yeah. to what they were. As are most changed. players. Right. Yeah. But, like, when you have a player who just says, like, I didn't really do anything different, and you're trying – I'm trying to tell somebody. Like, I'm trying to tell people, hey, here's this great story, and here's – Here's this player why? who's doing great things. And here are the reasons why, as opposed to just like this player's doing great things. Just saying this player's doing great things is just citing stats. Yeah. Because if you can't weave it all together into some sort of narrative form, like you're a bit stuck in it, it, it it's really not going to be particularly compelling. So all that is to say, I'm actually really interested to see the second time around, she's got new PR uh She's got new. Sorry, my Nike fuel while, band. While, while, <laughs> while, while Courtney has been gesturing about Azarenka, she somehow 
wildly being Italian or something, managed to reach her Nike fuel bank goal, and the bracelet just started flashing at us. So congratulations, Courtney, thank you, thank on you. burning calories through thank gesticulating you. about Victoria yeah, Azarenka. Well, you know, in my gesticulation, hopefully I've burnt off about one one-hundredth of the burrito bowl I ate at Chipotle for dinner. But yeah. Um, but yeah, all that is to say that like, hopefully this second time around she has new PR in Benito, who is uh, Rafael Nadal's PR agent as well. Yep. Um, they hooked up, I think, after the U.S. Open uh, last year. And um, she's, you know, this is the second cycle around. This is kind of virtually exactly the same situation she was in last year. So I will be very – all access hour is tomorrow. Um, and obviously her press will continue over the next week and a half. I'll be very interested to see if it's different this time. Yeah. Um, also be so. interested to see how the crowd feels about her because as I was reminded today when I saw and I heard them heckling Ernie Golbus for no clear reason, uh, except that he was playing an American and Christian Harrison, the Indian Wells crowd, while the backdrop can be very scenic, <laughs> as you've probably heard from someone named you know, Serena Williams, the, the crowd can be a little bit cantankerous here and unfriendly. So I'll be interested to see, and I feel like it happens more on the outer courts than in the main stadium, and Azarenko will only be in the stadium. So I'll be interested to see if the crowd reception ever gets icy with her because it, it, these yeah. people are ready to flip. If if it's against Sloan, yeah, that'll be you know a night match. You know, uh, that would be a close good. night match too. Yeah, yeah, it's a blowout. They won't care. That would be tough. So, you know, I mean, it's, everything's a learning experience, and and every player can turn it around and um, stuff like that. And and so hopefully, you know, there's there's something that uh, that uh, she's learned from it. Stuff that the press has learned from it, and. You know, and everybody can kind of get back to a to a kind of happy medium to really help her. You know, I mean, because I don't think that anyone's in the business of like I don't enjoy sitting at my compute my computer and you know writing negatively no. or something. But you know, if that's what's happening, then that's what's happening. And yeah. so hopefully that's not that's not what's. No, we're not happen. here to you know be dishonestly positive about anybody or dishonestly negative. Right. We're just here to you know say what's going on, and that has been the temperature with her in the past uh but in general let's just talk about the temperature in general here it's like sure. 72 degrees it's beautiful it's very nice here how are, how are, expected, how are you though. how are you liking any what are you what do you look how do you feel about this coming back to this tournament and what this tournament you know means for well, you yeah no i mean this tournament anybody who's kind of followed me and kind of my tennis journey over the last few years knows how you know just kind of what a soft spot i have for indian wells it is you know, in a lot of ways, the place in, where I fell in love with not just tennis, but live tennis, mm-hmm. um, and really got that bug of wanting to go to tennis tournaments and yeah. really enjoying tennis at tournaments much more than sitting at home and watching it. And, and um, so it really inspired me in that way. I think that it's just a picturesque uh, environment. I think the players are so relaxed here. I mean, you know, whether they're wandering the grounds, like eating some ice cream or sitting in matches supporting their friends, like, you know, like sitting off to the sides. Um, you know, they're all laughing and giggling. I saw Marion Bartoli um, laughing with, or trying to, uh, <laughs> laugh with Richard Gasquet and Joe Wilfred Sanga today on the, the practice field, uh-huh. which was super amusing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's it's just good. And then even, you know, the city is a bit of a sprawl, but everybody's really, really centralized. We're all in the same hotels yeah. and stuff. So you see everybody at bars, and it's familiar faces, and it's just... It's just such a, I don't know, it feels like... It's like camp, almost. Yeah, exactly. I was like going to say home, but it's not like home. It's, it's like camp. It's, it's like, like camp. it's like you go to this, like, you know, sort of, like, scenic place in the middle of nowhere, and it's like, hey, the gang's all here, good to see you again, and then you go, like, go to, you know, your various cabins, and everyone's there again, and your activities, you go to, 
you know, one of the various hotel restaurants or hotel bars here, and you see, you know, four players sitting there with their coaches and stuff, and you're like, oh, hi, how are yeah. you, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it, it's very campy. Yeah. And it's, and, it's, and it's good. And the players are much more relaxed. Like we like we mentioned before, the media and player amenities here are more mixed in a lot of mm-hmm. tournaments. Like all this, like the lounge, uh, big parts of the lounge areas and the dining areas are all shared. So I think players, at least for us anyway, can see the players with their hair down a little more, and they and vice versa. And I think it just leads to a sort of informality that I think is conducive to doing good that's stuff. A, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think you know, not having kind of that separation, um, yeah. you know, and um, it's almost like you're in like it, this is what it feels like to me. It feels like you live in biodome here. Okay. Right. So like it's kind of a, a perfect. Uh, sorry. It's kind of a perfect um, a storm of like uh, balance, yeah. you know. So you have you have the players interacting with press, and it's there isn't necessarily an antagonistic relationship where you know because we're all just basically on top of each other. We're all in the same hotels. We're all sharing transport. Yeah. We're all operating within the same space. Um, and I don't. I mean, sometimes I'll admit it for me, just because I generally don't like interacting with players. Um, I it makes me uncomfortable. Like sometimes I avoid like getting food at the mixed player media dining because I just really don't want to be in a situation where I'm standing in line behind Marinko Matosovic and, you know, standing in front of, um, who, by the way, totally yelled at my friend, but that's like totally yeah, separate. Yeah, Marinko. And, yeah, not cool, Marinko. Not cool, Marinko. Um, for something completely dumb, but anyways, and is driving a red, like, Mustang or Corvette or something. Oh, I heard Tomic has a has a crazy outlandish car while he's here as Tomic well. Tomic is driving a crazy car? What? I know. Breaking. Of what kind of thing do you speak here? Breaking. Courtney? Hooning up and down Highway 111. Can you even hoon in America? Is that even <laughs> even a verb that you can, can do on these roads? Can you hoon in America? That should just be like I gotta line. say, like, I felt like after I heard about Bernie hooning last year, I, like, what got my heart. I was like, I'm gonna go hooning. I was like, I don't know how. I <laughs> couldn't hoon if I tried. <laughs> Could not hoon if I tried. Yeah, so... So, yeah, so it's, it, it's interesting. It's a very yeah mixed thing, and it, going to Miami, Miami's immediate difference. Even like two weeks later, it's just a different setup. Well, it can be jarring. Worlds. I mean, I was talking to another blogger uh, today about that, about because they were asking, "Oh, are you doing the Indian Wells Miami double?" And I did that once, and I kind of vowed never to do it again, simply because um, a if you get all your material in Indian Wells, where the access is really good with the players, like you get to Miami, and you almost kind of are like, "I have nothing to ask you." Except for Serena, it gets redundant. Yes, except and for Venus. Serena, it's it's redundant. Yeah. So. Um, you know, you can ask about matches, but I don't write about matches. So if I'm asking questions about so how was your forehand today or you hit 42 on four stairs, then I'm kind of BSing a little bit because yeah. I don't write those articles because um, I'm not wire. But, yeah, so it's it doesn't make sense. But just even culture-wise, you go from a serene, peaceful desert oasis that is Indian Wells where everything's chill and calm and sleepy um, and in both good and bad ways, mm-hmm. you know. And then you go to Miami – where it's just really loud and hot and humid and you're in traffic. Um, here, like, literally, you drive five minutes from Player Hotel to to the site. And, like, you're on site in, like, 10, 15 minutes at the most. You can walk. You can walk I if you want to. I saw Sam Soster walking today. Did you? I did. I saw Ryan Harrison in a She's staying at our hotel, by the way. Is Sam she? Soster, yeah. That's awkward. Um, for you. <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> for me. Why, why is this awkward for me? It's awkward for Some, everyone. Someone's projecting. By the way, why is Sam Sam Stozer practicing with Shahar Pear? Why is Shahar Pear in the main draw? There are many questions. Pekovic and Putin say we didn't make it into the main draw. Shahar Pear is in. Well, hold on. To be fair, 
Kentucky, but she didn't ask for a main draw wild card. No, she didn't. So, but she asked for qualifying wild card. Right. But still, when you see like who's left, yes, it's kind of weird. Sure, no, yeah. Char yeah. Pair got a wild card here, um, to background, and she's lost in the, like fourteen or last fifteen matches. A little bit exaggerated, but not really. And she's just playing terrible. Yeah. So, you know, so it goes. But uh, but yeah, Stozer has a. She practiced with I think Skiavone in the first day, and then she practiced with Pear today. And I'm like, try. I literally today I was sitting at my desk looking at the draw, thinking like, who could she practice with? Who's <laughs> in worse of a slump than those two? And I Tough. had a hard time. Tough. I had a hard time. So, um, but yeah. So it's good. I mean, it's. I don't know. It's Indian Wells. It's it's. You know, we'll report more, obviously, once uh, play begins. Um, but uh, tomorrow is all-access hour with the top eight seeds, um, which should be interesting. Um, yep. And uh, the player party is Thursday night, which we heard Andrea Petkovic will be working the red carpet. Uh, Being the Joan Rivers exactly. of the WTA. So, which should be exciting. So keep your eyes peeled for the, the, the WTA videos on that. Um, but all the big names should kind of really start hitting because everybody was at the Exos yeah. this week. And we haven't LA. seen Nadal yet here. We haven't seen um, that's Djokovic. About it. That's about it. Djokovic. We haven't seen. We haven't seen Marty Fish, who's someone who's a bit lot of Azarenka. A lot of intrigue about Azarenka. We haven't seen yet either. Yeah. yeah. So so it's interesting. It'll so it'll be, be interesting. Yeah, I'm Delpo, curious to we see. Seen. Yeah, Delpo. I'm just kind of curious because one of the things I really like doing at tournaments, especially at Indian Wells, where you get kind of a mixed crowd of really knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people, and kind of not. Yeah. So, what's the most ridiculous thing that you've overheard so far? Um, I don't know if it's one ridiculous thing per se. There were some reactions to things that were going on in the Golbus Harrison Golbus Christian Harrison match today that just didn't make sense. People thought like that Harrison was like really deserved to win and couldn't figure out why he wasn't beating Ernest Golbus. Yeah. And Golbus is like on an eight match win streak and just won Delray, which by the way was funny. Things things that happened last we haven't talked about yet. Ernie Golbus like deciding he's gonna win a tournament as a qualifier, always amusing. Always amusing, never fails. And he was just in he's in he's in form where he got at one point he got really angry in this match that he lost the first set to Christian Harrison, and the next like five games were horrifyingly good. Yeah, like when he had put his mind to it, he can accomplish like scary things. On and the court. that's why Ernest Golbus is a player that we talk about. That's yeah. why, you know, again it goes kind of same thing with Tomic. Yeah, it goes back to like, are you a player who can be relevant? And when we say relevant. Or at least when I say relevant, I mean, can you be? Can you pull off the big win? Can you shake something up? Can you do something that will be that out that will be remembered? Yeah. And you know, going kind of full circle back to kind of the Ferrer discussion earlier on, I just, I, I can't think of a match off the top of my head that I remember of his where I'm like, you know, he's had wins and you know things like that, but I'm like, wow, that was fantastic. I mean, the closest that we get is his win over. Djokovic at the World Tour Finals two years ago. Djokovic was awful. And Djokovic was awful. That had really little to do with, with the result was surprising, but the perform based on the performances, it wasn't. And um, you know, so that's the thing about the the Golbuses. You know, people get excited about Janowitz uh, for the same reason because they see something in his game that they think can. And obviously, he beat Murray and stuff in, in Paris and a bunch of quality players. But um, Golbus, you know, has obviously proven it. Tomic. Um, has that upside? Pr- yeah, that upside. He hasn't necessarily proven it yet, but he has the upside. So, and yeah. Ronich, Ronich hasn't necessarily proven it either yet yeah. in terms of beating one of the really big guys on a big stage. But people see that potential there. And so. again, that's what you know why we talk about sock in a certain way yeah. and the Madison, Ke- you know, 
certain players just have that thing. And speaking and, of Ronich, mm. it's a completely changed topic. Sure. You were you were at the draw ceremony today. Yeah, I was. Were were you? I was. I'm always struck here by how many Canadians there are here. Yes. This is like the second. This is like the Grand Slam of Canada in a weird way. Weird, yeah. I, I was. I think I may have seen some comments on Twitter where people were like, "Oh yeah, there's a lot of Canadians down in like there." I'm like, "Really?" Snowbirds, yeah. Snow. Oh, be, it snowbirds. Snows people who come, travel oh, down to okay. warmer climates for the winter. Okay. A lot of them in Florida. Okay. Who come from like New York and New England, but I guess on the West Coast, uh, like this desert area, is like anyone in Western Canada. So, like they're asking people to draw somewhere. Like, oh, where are you from? I'm from Vancouver. I'm from Calgary. Oh, I'm from I'm from Saskatchewan. Like okay, yeah, and, and so Ronich, there were like just like big crowds, and they, the Ronich got placed in the draw, and there was this huge yeah, roar. Were, the only player who really got applause and they got placed in the draw seriously. today was Milos and, and like and like I remember when Kra- Andrew Krasny, who is a, the famous voice of kind of tennis in a lot of ways. If you go to live tournaments, he's yeah. always kind of an on court announcer, and he was doing the draw ceremony. I think at some point he was, you know, when they placed Djokovic or something, there he was like, so like. Are the Djokovic fans out there? And literally, there were two claps. <laughs> and then, like, Roundage gets placed in the draw. And it was, like, absolute eruption. Yeah. And, like, somebody lifted, hoisted a Stanley Cup. And somebody else, like, overturned a car. It was, like, nuts. <laughs> this is what happens in and Canada. And Eskimo showed up. Eskimo showed up. cracked over some Molsons and had a great time. <laughs> there was some Anne Murray playing in the background. <laughs> Avril Levine awesome. showed up. It was great. Nickelback guy. Chad yeah. Kroger. It was lovely. He's a, I, feel this is, I feel like we've mentioned Chad Kroger several times on this I, podcast. It's in, very in the true. Past. We should probably not do that again. No, you're, maybe we're secret Kroger cads. Maybe. maybe. I'm, I'm going to go with no, but maybe. Let, can this not be a segue and excuse to play Nickelback on the way out? Yes, please not. Okay. Let's talk about anything else. Anything else? Petco's really into Tegan Sarah. Petco is in Tegan Sarah. We already did them as, a pod, as an outcast, as an outro, though. We should do something else. Like Block Party. Block Party. I don't know any Block Party. I'm, I'm unaware of their body of work. I've already Ben's like shooting me this look as though he's like baiting me to like rail into him, but I've already like yelled at him for his absolute block party ignorance. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go. It's and not my scene. I think maybe I'll just bring it up in front of Petco and see what she says. Yeah, to that's you. fine. That's All fine. Right, maybe do it. I, I do. I embarrass easily. No, it's it's weird. It's like a superpower. <laughs> it's like if Ben were an X Man, that would be a superpower. Like the guy with no shame. Yeah. It comes in handy, so <laughs> clearly. I guess we'll. I'll just leave it up to whatever mood I'm in, and I edit this. Okay. Have a good one, folks. Mini episode before the show. We'll be back with you again before the tournament ends for sure. Yeah. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bulletproof, nothing to lose